Merry Christmas, Summit Bible Church. It is a joy to celebrate Christmas service with you. I trust you're all ready for Friday. It's Friday, right? Or is it Thursday? Whenever. It's going to fly by. Uh, and I'm looking forward to celebrating, as we already have been in our home, Christ's birth, Christmas the true meaning and reason for Christmas. But inevitably, we live in the United States of America and consumerism's all around us. How much do you think Americans spend, or the average American spent on Christmas in 2019? Do you even want to know? Not really, right? Well, I'm going to tell you anyways. So it's burned on your conscience. The average American spent $882 on Christmas in 2019. Now, this average includes spending on gifts, food, decorations, travel, and other miscellaneous holiday-related expenses, but it also includes those who did not buy gifts or spend money at all. In fact, if you were to take the average from only the consumers, obviously the average increases, the average American consumer spent $928 on Christmas. And that average isn't an average on households. That's the average consumer, the individual, spending $928 on Christmas. That's a lot of money. <laughs> it's, a, it's an amazing, amazing number to think about. Every year since 2008, the American spending average has increased. Last year, 2019, was the first year that total holiday spending exceeded $1 trillion. Wow. Americans spend a lot on Christmas. The Americans uh, were surveyed to see if they had set a budget for holiday spending. Anybody set a budget for holiday spending? Not many of you raise your hands. Uh-oh. Well, 56% responded yes, but get this, only 64 of the 56% stuck to their budget, which is a whole another story, right? 21.5%, 21.5% of respondents went into debt over Christmas in 2019. Man. Just consumerism, consumerism at its finest. We spend a lot of money, material things on material things, especially around Christmas time. But here's my question for you this afternoon. How much did God spend on Christmas? Have you thought about that? How much did God spend on Christmas the year Jesus Christ was born? I'll tell you this, the value of his gift exceeds $1 trillion. In fact, the amount that God gave exceeds any and all earthly measurements. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave, what? His only Son. 
that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. God's gift was not a material thing. It wasn't money. It was a person. The Lord Jesus Christ. And it would do us good to consider the true cost of Christmas this year. I would like, I would like us to consider the title of my message, The True Cost of Christmas. You might be here today thinking to yourself, why does this matter? Why do Christians make such a big deal about God becoming a baby? Why is that important? Why is that something that Christians celebrate? What does it have to do with me and my life, God becoming a baby 2,000 years ago? I'm here to tell you today, and the Scripture itself will tell you, that it has everything to do with you and your life. The cost of Christmas. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 explains the cost of Christmas to us. So, if you would, turn uh, your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're only looking at verse 9. If you didn't bring a Bible with you today, that's okay. There's a Bible on the pew in front of you. Should be in the back of the pew. And if you would turn to page 1149, you will open that pew Bible to 2 Corinthians 8 9. So I want to encourage you if you didn't bring a Bible, it's okay. Use that pew Bible, page 1149. 1149. And I want you to look at this verse with me. I'm going to have the verses on the screen, but it'll help you to see it in the scripture itself. One verse this afternoon, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Before we read the verse, I want to make this statement. God becoming a man is the greatest gift that we can celebrate on Christmas. Amen? God becoming a man is the greatest gift that we can celebrate on Christmas. Kids, it's better than the PS5. Better. Than that, parents, it's better than the Christmas bonus. When you consider his immeasurable wealth and the incalculable price that he paid for our sake and the everlasting benefit that you receive in his grace, you realize the greatest gift of Christmas has eternal significance for you in your life. In fact, it changes your life. So read with me 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. It says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. It's an incredible verse, isn't it? An incredible statement. John MacArthur calls this verse a Christological gem. He says it's a multifaceted diamond that far outshines all the other jewels around it. This one verse, there is so much to unpack. So let's just move phrase by phrase through it. I'd like you to consider first, point number one, the giver. The giver. Again, you'll see that first phrase, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, in order to understand the significance of this verse, you really have to see it in its context. The Apostle Paul, who writes this letter to the Corinthians, he puts this, or he makes this point in the context of a conversation on giving. Yes, the Apostle Paul is talking about giving money to a cause. He's fundraising in this text. He's fundraising for a struggling church in Jerusalem. And he writes to the Corinthians to encourage them to give sacrificially. So, the Apostle Paul is asking for money. Literally. But he does so in a way that's winsome. And he ties it to the biblical principle of generosity and grace. And Paul gives several examples in this text of generous, sacrificial giving. The first example he gives is of the Macedonians. He gives this example of the church in Macedonia. This is an extremely impoverished church, Paul says. And you think about the context in which he writes, first century, when he's talking poor, he's talking not American poor, but very poor. So he says the church in Macedonia is an extremely impoverished church. They don't have much, if anything. Yet Paul commends them because in verse 3, they still gave. And they didn't only give according to their means in verse 3, tells us. They gave beyond their means. What an incredible example of generosity. I think about the widow in Mark chapter 12. Jesus sits down opposite the treasury in the synagogue and he watches people put their offering into the box. He notes many rich people put large sums into the offering box, but he notices his eyes are drawn toward a a poor widow in Mark chapter 12. You might remember this story. He sees this poor widow come and she puts two small copper coins in the offering box. And the text tells us it equals about a penny. This is not a large gift. But Jesus draws His disciples toward Him and He calls them to Himself and He says this, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who contributed to the offering box. And here's the principle. Verse 44. It's on the screen. For those, they, the rich, all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty has put in everything she had. That is giving. That is generosity. See, the poor widow in the eyes of our Lord was wealthier than all of the rich people who put money in the offering box. The impoverished Macedonians were wealthier in the sight of our Lord. Not a wealth in money, but a wealth in generosity. In sacrificial giving. See, God is less impressed by how much you earn or how much you give, but rather how much it costs you to give. The heart behind giving, giving, is it sacrifice? Is it true generosity that came at a cost to yourself? God's love is set on a cheerful and sacrificial giver. So this is the context where we find this verse, but Paul moves a step further. He says, if you thought the Macedonians were impressive, take a a look at this example that I'll give you in verse 9. 
In verse 9, he gives us another example of true generosity, true grace. Here's someone who gave so much at such an incredible cost to himself. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This word for know, it's gnosko. It's a personal knowledge. This is an experiential knowledge. This is not knowing a lot about something. Like knowing about a story. Or memorizing a principle. Or rereading something. Or recalling information. Paul says, pointedly, he says, remember when Jesus gave you something. This is something you know very well, Corinthians. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are beneficiaries of this priceless gift. Who did this gift come from? Paul uses the full title. The Lord Jesus Christ. That's an official title, isn't it? Let's break it down name by name. Lord first. What does this tell us about the giver? Lord reminds us of His deity, His sovereignty. He's Lord over all. He's King of all kings. So this gift is given to us not from any ordinary person. This gift is given to us from the Lord. The King over all kings. Secondly, we see Jesus. This is His earthly name, but it has heavenly significance. It tells us something about this giver. The name Jesus is the Hebrew version of the name Yeshua, which means deliverer or rescuer. So this gift given to us delivers us from something. The gift rescues us from something. And then we come to the last name, Christ. And the name Christ is not Jesus' surname. The name Christ is a title. The Greek translation of Messiah, which means anointed or promised one. So just in the name that Paul names, he he tells us this gift comes to us from a king. It's not just any king, but it's the king of kings. This giver delivers us, rescues us from something. And lastly, this gift is not an impersonal object or a means. God didn't just send us something. The gift is the giver Himself. The person that was promised to save us from our sins. The gift is Jesus. Let me ask you, do you think you could receive a gift from anyone better? Do you think there's someone more noteworthy, someone more esteemed, more qualified, more distinguished, that could give us gifts. Who do you think's better, Jesus or Santa Claus? Kids, Jesus, before I, before I hear you answer. He's a better gift giver. Look to Jesus. Look at this gift giver. The ultimate example of generosity. And to see how much this gift cost Him, we, we need to understand the wealth that he once had. So point number two, the giver, and then secondly, consider his wealth. Look at the next phrase. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich. What kind of wealth are we talking about here? 
What kind of wealth was Jesus working with? What was in his bank account? What's under Jesus' estate? Well, if you just look back to the verses we read in our scripture reading, it gives us a, a clue, a hint as to how wealthy Jesus was. Look at John 1, 1 through 3 again. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and this is Jesus. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we're talking about God's wealth here. He was in the beginning with God. Then look at verse 3. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So who can measure the wealth of God? Go ahead. Try to quantify His assets. Place a numerical value on absolute sovereignty. Put a price tag on the galaxies. How much is the sun worth? Because that's in his estate. He made it. And he controls its movement. Along with the rest of the trillions of stars that he created and currently upholds. What wealth Jesus had in the beginning, just in the created order. But his wealth goes beyond the created order. God is not just wealthy in his creation, he was wealthy before the creation. Look at John 17.5. This incredible statement. Jesus prays, And now, Father, glorify Me in Your own presence with the glory that I had with You before the world existed. Friends, this is where our earthly measurements, even our imagination, fails us. The greatest mathematician or computer program could not count high enough to determine the value of his wealth before the universe existed. We cannot begin to conceive or fathom the glory, the riches, the honor, the privilege of being God. There is not a higher throne in all of the universe. There is not a wealthier bank in all of the universe. Philip Hughes writes simply, none was richer than he, the Lord Jesus Christ. What kind of wealth are we talking about here? We're looking at someone who no one had more to lose than Jesus Christ. Said in another, another way, no one had more to lose than Jesus Christ. Consider his wealth. The wealth of God. And then after that phrase, consider the next staggering statement. Though he was rich, consider number three, his poverty. Yet for your sake he became poor. Jesus became poor. You know, I've never heard of a philanthropist uh, giving to the point of po poverty. I've never heard of that. If you Google uh, the largest sum ever given or the largest amount of money ever given by a philanthropist or by any person, who do you think is at the top of the list? Bill Gates. Bill Gates is at the top of the list. And it's estimated that Bill Gates has given over $35.8 billion. That's how much he's given to various philanthropical efforts around the world. 
And he's closely followed by another billionaire we're all familiar with. Who is that? Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett has given around $34 billion. That's a lot of money. Very generous men by the world's standards. You know what? Last time I checked, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett are still billionaires. They, these men haven't given to the point of poverty. It goes back to Jesus' point with the widow. It's easy for the rich to give out of their abundance. But how many poor give out of their poverty? I've never heard of a philanthropist giving beyond the measure of their wealth to the point of poverty, to the point of losing everything except for Jesus. Though he was rich, the text says, he became poor. How low did Jesus go? How low did Jesus go? Philippians 2 tells us, Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Think about this. Just pause and think about this. Creator God became like His creation men. From the highest position, the greatest honor, the wealth of God in the heavens to the lowest seat on earth. To live amongst men. To live like a servant. Or better translated, a slave. Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark, He says the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. That is amazing. This is the greatest marvel of Christmas. It's called the kenosis in theological terms. The Lord Jesus Christ set aside His privilege as God, His honor, His rights, and the external manifestation of His divine glory. He took off the crown, if you will, the jewels, the royal robe, and He stepped down from His throne in heaven descended to the earth, took the form of a helpless baby, born from a virgin, swaddled in a dirty cloth, laid in a used cattle food trough, born in a shed. I mean, we like to use the pretty terms on Christmas, manger, stable, but let's be honest, what was it? It was a cattle food trough. It was a shed, because there was no room for him at the end. What king would stoop so low? What king would impoverish himself for the sake of his people? But get this, the poverty doesn't end there. How low did Jesus go? John 1.10 tells us He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not what know Him. He came to His own, and his own people did not receive him. What king would stoop so low that he would become like common man, that he would become like a slave? And beyond that, his poverty went further. His own people rejected him. How low did Jesus go? Well, he went further. Philippians 2, verse 8 tells us, 
that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. From king to slave, from prince to pauper, from innocent to charged guilty, from the author of life to the victim of death, how much did Christmas cost God? More than we could ever imagine. A priceless gift in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Why did God spend so much on Christmas? Do not miss these words. Don't miss these words. In Christmas of 2020, do not miss these words right here, the third part of verse 9. For your sake. For your sake. So that you, by His poverty, might become rich. Oh, it's an amazing point. First, consider the giver. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. Second, consider His wealth. None was richer than He. Third, consider His poverty. He became so low, He died on the cross in your place. And then fourth, consider your benefit from this. You're a beneficiary of this priceless gift, the Lord Jesus Christ. For your sake, so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. Dr. Gramacki puts it this way, the prince became a pauper so that we paupers might become princes. It's an incredible exchange, isn't it? His poverty gave us incredible wealth. Wealth that goes beyond this world. See, we were the poor ones. <laughs> we were poor. Poor in our sins. Born into poverty. We were spiritually bankrupt. We had nothing good to offer God. You know this to be true. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Instead of be covering ourselves in royal robes, robes of honor, robes of righteousness, we are in rags, filthy sinners. We were beggars. We're beggars before God. It doesn't matter how much earthly wealth you accumulate in your life, you're a beggar in your sin because you come to God with all that material wealth, you go to heaven's door, heaven's gate, and you offer it for eternal life. God is not going to take that. You need righteousness. You need righteousness, and that's not coming from you because you're a beggar. You're a sinner. We all are without Christ. But listen to this. 2 Corinthians 5.21. It's on the screen. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Listen to this. For your sake. There's that phrase again. For your sake. He made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. So that, here's that phrase again, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. 
get this. This is what 2 Corinthians 5.21 and 2 Corinthians 8.9 is saying. Jesus set aside His crown, His royal robe, the external manifestation of His glory, stepped out from the high position in which He sat, and He put on our sin-stained rags. And He took on the cross the penalty of our sin, which is death. And in a great exchange, He gave us the royal robe. He gave us the royal robe of righteousness so that we would be rich in heaven. So that we could stand righteous before a holy and righteous God. Let me tell you something today, friend. Let me tell you something today. The royal robe of righteousness is more valuable than anything in this world. It's more valuable than anything. More valuable than any trust or hedge fund. It's more valuable than the estate of billionaires or future trillionaires. It's more valuable than all the wealth that could be accumulated in the world. If you're covered in Christ's righteousness, you're rich beyond this world. You're rich in heaven. And you could enter the gates of heaven with full confidence, knowing that you're covered in Christ's righteousness. That is wealth. That is wealth. Wealth beyond earthly measurements. And remember, Christian, how did you receive this robe? How did, how did you get covered in Christ's righteousness? It's quite, simply, it's quite simple, really. You received the gift. You receive the gift, Jesus Christ. You confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believed in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and you were saved and you were made wealthy beyond worldly measurements. That's the Gospel's effect in your life if you truly believe. That's who you are. And so when somebody asks, how wealthy are you? What's your value? You don't define it by the earthly measurements. You don't look at your savings account, your checking account, your Roth IRAs, your retirement fund, whatever. That's incomparable to the wealth that you have in Jesus Christ. Covered in His righteousness. So you remember, I can see some of you nodding, you remember the generosity of Jesus, don't you? You remember. You know it well. No one was richer than He, but for your sake He became poor, so that you, pauper, you, sinner, would be richer than any man this world can make you. You would be rich in heaven, covered in His righteousness. His shed blood bought you the royal robe. What a gift. What a gift to receive on Christmas. What a gift to be reminded of when you see the nativity scenes. Oh, that cute baby wrapped in a perfectly fastened white cloth, lying in what looks like a comfortable manger with beautiful yellow hay, all the animals quietly looking in, a glowing mother who's just given birth to a child. Remember, it's a lie. No, I'm kidding. Seriously, though, Consider how much it cost him. Consider how much it cost him to set aside his crown and, and become like his creation, a man born 
in a barn, laid in a cattle trough. Oh, he went so low for your sake. And it's not just the fact that he was born. Consider the life that he lived following and the death he died so that you would be rich. Christian, you've got to be thinking, how can I thank him for such an incredible gift? How can I thank God with such an incredible gift? You know, one of the things that we do for Christmas, I don't know if you do the same, we were just talking about this with the Norses. One of the things we do, or make sure to do at Christmas, is have the gifts, sorry, the gifts don't open the kids, the kids open the gifts. So, I have to remind myself of that. So, we have the kids open their gifts, but we have them do it one by one. We have each of them open a gift, and then it's the next person's turn, and the next person's turn. It, it teaches them two things. One is patience, right? Which we all need. Sometimes I need that. Patience, right? So they have to take a turn and watch the other person open their gift. But also, it, secondly, it teaches them appreciation and thankfulness. Because after each gift, they have an opportunity to pause and thank the person who gave them the gift. It's not an all-out brawl and just open things up, but, but just we want them to pause and thank the person who got them that gift. To say thank you. You know, a kind gesture when you receive a gift is to send a thank you card. That's something, you know, that something we do is just to show appreciation. Even if it's, you know, just a small gift or a big gift, to send a thank you card is a token of appreciation. Christian, how can you thank the king? How can you possibly think about thanking God for such an incredible gift? Let me tell you something. The greatest thank you card that you could send the king is a life wholly surrendered to him. The greatest thank you card that you can send back to the king is your life wholly surrendered to him. I think about 1 Peter 1. There's several commands in this passage. There's hope in Christ in verse 13. Be holy, verse 14. Walk in the fear of the Lord, 15. Why? Knowing that you were ransomed. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And if He spent so much on you, give your life back. Be holy. Live in the fear of the Lord and hope in Christ. 1 Corinthians 6.20 a great verse to remember. You were bought with a price. And oh, that was a high price, wasn't it? You were bought with a price. So what? Glorify God in your body. The greatest gift that you can, or sorry, thank you card that you can send back to God is a life wholly surrendered to Him. I like what Philip Hughes writes. The quote will be up on the screen here. If He did all of this for me, then nothing I give or do for Him can be too much. Such love constrains me, redeemed at invaluable cost. I am no longer my own. All that is mine is now His for Him to make use according to His purposes. Live your life as a love offering, a thank you card written back to the King. The second thing you can do is imitate His generosity. Imitate the Lord's generosity. Why did Paul give this example in 2 Corinthians 8-9? Why did Jesus commend the poor widow in front of the disciples? 
He wants you not to be wealthy by the world's terms. He wants you, Christian, to imitate their generosity, to imitate His generosity, and be wealthy in generosity. To give sacrificially. I love what J.I. Packer writes. He writes this, The Christmas spirit is the spirit of those who, like their Master, live their whole lives on the principle of making themselves poor. Spending and being spent for the sake of others. To enrich their fellow men, giving time, trouble, money, care, and concern for the good of others. Imitate Christ this Christmas. Be a generous giver, a sacrificial giver. Give sacrificially to His cause and to His people. An incredible way to thank God for the incredible generosity He's shown you. Just a word here at the end for non-Christians. Maybe you're in this room and you're thinking, I, you know, Paul said that I should know personally and experientially the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know in your heart, even in this room today, that you don't know that grace. You don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And you know it. I want you to consider the unfortunate story of Thomas Martinez. Thomas Martinez in Bolivia. Thomas was once married. And he lived a modest life with his ex-wife, Inez. After their divorce, things went south for Thomas. In addition to losing his wife and home, he lost his job due to his drug and alcohol addictions. It eventually left him homeless. Inez, however, received a multi-million dollar inheritance from a dead family member after their divorce. So she lived the rest of her life in lavish wealth. But on her deathbed, Inez felt compassion toward her ex, Thomas. And so she wrote Thomas into her will to receive her multi-million dollar estate. The two never had children, and the two never married again. So she felt compassion for the misfortunes of her ex-husband and wrote him into the will. Unfortunately, when the police arrived, when they found Thomas to share the exciting news with him, he was afraid. And he ran away from them, probably in fear that he was going to be arrested for drug or alcohol abuse. He didn't stay long enough for them to share the exciting news with him. In fact, Thomas disappeared for good never to be found by anyone again. Assume he was dead. How unfortunate, Thomas, to never receive the good news of his inheritance. Friend, I bring you good news today. The Lord Jesus Christ, though He was rich, for your sake He became poor so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. Don't run away from that news today. Receive it with joy.
confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, and you will be saved. And might I add, by 2 Corinthians 8-9, you will be rich beyond this world. Rich in heaven. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, what an incredible gift that you gave in your Son, Jesus Christ. It's, a, it's an amazing gift, Lord. and Just to consider the reality that I'm, just a, I'm a beneficiary of the gift. Why? I, Lord, it's hard to believe such a wretched sinner like myself could receive such an incredible gift. God, You love us so much. And You showed us love. You, you are rich in grace. You're rich in mercy. And you showed us that by sending your son, Jesus Christ, to be born a baby. To be born by humble means and to live a humble life. The life of a slave, a servant. He was the ultimate example of generosity. And he went even beyond that to the point of death. Death on the cross in my place. And he rose again from the grave to conquer sin and death in my life for my sake. Thank You, God, for that. May I live a life that's wholly surrendered to You in response. And I pray for every person in this room that they would grapple with the reality of the cost of Christmas and give their life as a response wholly surrendered to You. Let us be a thankful people a grateful people for how much you gave to us. In Jesus' name.